Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Health Connect South Radio Show. We were joined in studio by Dean and Senior Vice President of Health Services at Mercer University, Dr. Ted Matthews, and he brought along with him Clinical Assistant Professor Dr. Ashish Advani from the College of Pharmacy, talking about a couple of innovations that Mercer University is putting in place that are changing the ways that, one, that they instruct their health services program students, as well as developing a technology platform called Infarmed that puts the information contained in the various medicine information centers available around the country at various medical and pharmacy colleges. The Informed platform gives the clinician access to millions of clinical trials compiled from medicine information centers around the country. With this information in hand, the clinicians can make very educated decisions about what medication and medication type they want to prescribe for a given problem, in many cases enabling them to select a medication that is far less expensive and yet just as effective as another maybe more well-known brand that's out there, obviously then driving down patient care costs while improving patient outcomes at the same time. Here is Ashish talking about the development of the Informed platform. Check it out. The United States is number one in the world in healthcare costs. We actually outspend the rest of the top 10 countries combined. Along the same lines, we don't really have a great track record in terms of quality. We're number 37th in the world in healthcare quality. And unfortunately, these two trends are going the wrong direction. We keep spending more and we keep getting less. We have a solution in mind. It's called evidence-based medicine. Most folks don't really understand the idea of evidence-based medicine, but the idea that instead of providers making decisions based on habit, gut, ritual, instinct, anecdotal evidence, intuition, and they can make decisions based on data. And when you make decisions based on that data, costs come down and quality goes up. And so that's really the why behind what we're doing is really trying to make it easier for healthcare providers to make more data-driven decisions. Stick around for the full interview with Dr. Ted Matthews and Dr. Ashish Advani talking about Mercer University coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South radio show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Joined in studio as almost always. <laughs> Hey, C.W., how are you doing this morning? (laughs) Jay Schaefer, formerly of Health Connect South, but he hangs out with me here on the Health Connect South radio show, still affiliated with them in an advisory capacity. And from what I understand, Health Connect South has an event coming up pretty soon. That's right, C.W., and we're excited that the speaker lineup has been finalized for the April 5th event in Nashville, Tennessee at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. So Michael Burcham, CEO of Naris Health, Amy Holcomb, CEO of Sky Medicus, Eric Johnson, Dean of the Vanderbilt's uh, School of Management, Stuart McWhorter, CEO of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, who's the host, and finally, Sig Mosley. So anyone who's done investing here in Atlanta knows the name Sig Mosley will be one of the speakers as well. And as a special for our listeners of Health Connect South Radio, you go to healthconnectsouth.com, and when you go to sign up, if you enter the code RADIOX, you'll get a discount on your ticket. So I highly advise you use that promo code. And today we're joined in the studio by a couple of experts from Mercer University College of Pharmacy. The Mercer University's College of Pharmacy is ranked among the top five pharmacy programs at private institutions in the United States, which is no small feat. According to the U.S. News and World Report, the college offers doctoral degrees in pharmacy and pharmaceutical sciences, and they are one of four Four health science units within the Mercer Health Sciences Center. Obviously, they have the School of Medicine there, as well as a College of Nursing and a College of Health Professions. And they've got 
over 650 students in the program there. We're pleased to be joined in the studio by Dr. Ted Matthews, Dean and Senior Vice President of Health Services there at Mercer University. And he's brought along with him Dr. Ashish Advani, also pharmacist and clinical assistant professor at Mercer University's College of Pharmacy. So gentlemen, thanks for taking some time. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Matthews, we'll start with you because from what I understand there at Mercer University, the college is adopting an approach to teaching the health sciences in such a way that the professionals who emerge from your programs will be thinking about things from a multidisciplinary perspective such that uh, they're more inclined to engage other practitioners, other experts that might be able to guide and help craft a care plan for this particular patient to help them to a positive outcome, possibly quicker and more efficiently than if just one person tried to do it. So talk a little bit about interprofessional education. Uh, thank you very much. Yes. Interprofessional education is actually a way of teaching that is used to prepare students to provide patient care in an interprofessional collaborative environment. In, in other words, IPE is preparing students to provide patient care when they become practitioners in collaboration with other healthcare practitioners. In 2010, the World Health Organization described IPE as occurring when students from two or more uh, professions learn about each other, learn from each other, and learn with each other to enable effective collaboration and improved health outcomes. Now, here at Health Connect South, one of the big overarching goals of the organization is to pull healthcare entities out of the silos they tend to operate in. And it seems, based on what you're saying, that if I'm, you know, in the traditional way of doing things, the old way of doing things, we had the College of Medicine, we had the College of Pharmacy, we had the College of Nursing, and each of them went through their respective programs and training and came out. And they knew they had to, you know, various parts of their uh, work had to interact with each other, but it was probably a little bit more transactional, wasn't necessarily as collaborative. And it sounds like you're building into the training itself more of a consideration of what those other parallel professionals might be thinking or doing along this patient's path. Am I on the right track there? Yes, that's correct. As a matter of fact, the reason that IPE is important is because one of the biggest barriers is interprofessional collegiality mm-hmm. and a lack of awareness of the strengths of each members of the team. So this lack of understanding between healthcare practi- practitioners can potentially lead to poor communication between team members poor efficiency within the team, and ultimately, patient care will suffer. Uh, IPE is important because it prepares students to collaborate, be collaborative, and to be practice-ready in providing quality patient care. So so how recent is this the, this trend or this approach to, you know, training our, our health professionals? This is probably something that has really begun within the last five years, at least it's taken traction uh, within the last five years. It probably began before that, but it takes a little while to break down those silos. But (laughs) the IPE is really showing that if the practitioners learn about each other earlier in their training, whenever they come together to practice, that there are possibilities that we can improve patient safety, break down these professional stereotypes, 
and improve professional practice. Kind of remove some of the us and them that tends to develop over time. Absolutely. So how do you put it into practice? I mean, when you're teaching the students along the lines of, of IPE, I mean, how, how, how are you integrating that concept into your training programs? First of all, one of the things that we do is that we require each one of the disciplines. And we have, as you mentioned, medicine, pharmacy, and the College of Health Professions. And in the College of Health Professions, they have physician assistant programs, physical therapy programs, and public health programs. And we require each discipline to have at least one IPE outcome statement in its curriculum so that we'll all be going in the same direction. That statement might be that we will teach students about interprofessional education and have them involved in it experientially. Also, we have a first-year seminar in the fall where all of these health professionals, as a matter of fact, about 500 of them get together and they actually learn about one another. Before they meet, there's an online training module uh, where each student has to learn about the other profession before they come together. And that's very, very important. Another thing that is done is we have actually four uh, patient case discussions throughout the year in which these professional students break up into small groups of 10, where you have pharmacy, nursing, physician assistants, medical students, uh, psychologists, all of these groups together to learn about one another. And that has proven to be a, a tremendous forum for the students to actually be with one another and learn the value that each professional brings to the table. Are there particular facets around, say I'm in the, the pharmacy program, what do you want me to know about the nursing program or the, the College of Medicine students and what they're doing and how they're approaching things? Well, the first thing that, that, that we want each individual, each healthcare professional to know is that as a member of the team, everyone has something to bring that's unique that can enhance patient care. So one of the things that we always find out is when the students come together, they're so amazed at the knowledge base that, say, a pharmacist has as it relates to drugs, disease states, and even diagnosis which they think that pharmacy students don't know. They're not just mixing medicines. They're not just mixing pills. medicines. <laughs> then the thing that the pharmacy student realizes is how integral the nurses are in the patient care. Even though the physician may be the head of that team, the nurses are the ones who actually carry that patient to the end and in a more holistic fashion, probably than, than most healthcare practitioners think about. So, We've been talking with Dr. Ted Matthews, Dean and Senior Vice President of Health Services from Mercer University, learning about a concept that they're integrating into their health sciences programs called interprofessional education, where, as Dr. Matthews was explaining earlier, they're having the members of the various programs who are going through maybe the College of Nursing, maybe the College of Medicine or the College of Pharmacy, whatever the case may be, and they're spending time with students from the other programs collaborating about various aspects of care and learning 
what is this other individual and this other practitioner's approach and how might I be thinking about them differently, uh, possibly interacting with them more collaboratively through the process of trying to determine what to do best for the patient. Have you gotten some feedback from the students over time about, wow, I I had no idea? Absolutely. I think probably one of the uh, most interesting aspects of this is the students love coming together because they just have no idea about what each one is doing. Even though we're on the same campus, oftentimes we're in different buildings. And these perceptions of how people are trained are embedded in the the, the minds of the students. And when they come together, all of this is totally just blown away. And they want more of it, really. And, And that's, in the end, going to be best for patient care. So where do you see this evolving and, and going to as we look at interprofessional education? I mean, do you, how do you see it changing? How do you see it growing uh, into other areas? Well, let me give you an example of one of the things that's going on. We have our simulation laboratory activities. And one of the activities is that the v- physician assistants call in prescriptions to the pharmacy students. And the pharmacy students critique the prescription that the PAs send in. We have physical therapists working with nursing students, teaching them how to assist patients getting out of bed. Those are the types of things. So at the end of the day, this has a potential to make healthcare more affordable, more accessible, and to improve the quality of care based on a team-based approach. Now, I know a lot of folks are familiar with the concept of Mercer Health Sciences Center, but what all is encompassed by the, by the Health Sciences Center at Mercer? Well, the Health Sciences Center, by definition, is really uh, what we call in the discipline an academic health center. And by definition, an academic health center is an entity that has a medical school, at least one health science program, owns or is closely affiliated with a hospital, and oftentimes has a patient care service, such as a clinic. And so we qualify as an academic health center because of those those things. Now, clearly with the approach to interprofessional education and, and being a part of your uh, philosophy there at Mercer University, that's, a I, I think, an innovation that is useful and, and certainly attractive and would prepare a clinician to be an effective member of a multidisciplinary team once they get out of their training. Other reasons why you, you someone might want to consider thinking about Mercer University for their health sciences degree? One of the things that we, we really stress is being excellent, but not just being excellent, but being excellent with a caring attitude. And, and that's our mantra. And you, you brought with you uh, Dr. Ashish Advani, and he's going to be talking a little bit about an innovation um, developed there within the College of Pharmacy called InformD. So tell us a little bit about this technology platform that we're, that we're looking at. Sure. And, uh, so first, actually, I might start with a little bit of context, if you don't mind. 
The United States is number one in the world in healthcare costs. We actually outspend the rest of the top 10 countries combined. Along the same lines, we don't really have a great track record in terms of quality. We're number 37th in the world in healthcare quality. And unfortunately, these two trends are going the wrong direction. We keep spending more and we keep getting less. We have a solution in mind. It's called evidence-based medicine. Most folks don't really understand the idea of evidence-based medicine, but the idea that instead of providers making decisions based on habit, gut, ritual, instinct, anecdotal evidence, intuition, they can make decisions based on data. And when you make decisions based on that data, costs come down and quality goes up. And so that's really the why behind what we're doing is really trying to make it easier for healthcare providers to make more data-driven decisions. And when we talk about it in this particular context, are you thinking mostly about how we prescribe, what we prescribe, if we prescribe a medication? Is that what we're talking about? Or are you talking about expanding? Because, I mean, we talk about evidence-based medicine a lot. I, I... as I've gone through my process of interacting with physicians in the, in the community, helping them understand when to interface with the physicians of the practice that I was a part of, um, everybody wanted to know about the evidence. But though certain facets of healthcare, certain facets of medicine, just either based on logistics or, or ethical concerns, uh, doing a level one study um, with a control group and a, and, a, and a test group may not necessarily be easy to do that doesn't necessarily stop us from offering that particular treatment. One example would be. Sure. So I can actually give you a great uh, a saying that we have at Atlanta Medical Center where I practice, and they always say, why take the Cadillac when the Ford will do just fine? Now, you as a, a practitioner CW can understand that you probably don't always want to take the Cadillac to get where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can get from point A to point B with a much cheaper alternative. Uh, but a lot of those times, we just don't have that data right in front of us. So it's not like you choose to take the Cadillac option you just might not realize that, hey, this drug can get me there just fine and it's a whole lot cheaper. And had you had that data in front of you, you might prefer to take that uh, alternative option. But if without that data, you're making those decisions based on subjective determinants that I just mentioned. And when you're making decisions based on subjective determinants, then they can be easily influenced by commercial entities, in, including actual commercials. Yeah. Uh, that, Ask that, your doctor. <laughs> that's right. Commercial Please. sales reps, those kinds of things. And so uh, the idea that, that we can just provide data to these practitioners, not to say they have to use it every time. And, and I don't necessarily want to advocate for, hey, we just have to be by the book. If the data says this, we have to do this. There's a reason that medicine as a practice or an art, um, but just having that data will help you make better decisions. And that's really the, the impetus behind Informed and what we're, why we're doing what we're doing is we just want to give practitioners like yourself that data to be able to make better decisions. Right. So it's Informed. I like that playing on the word. That's cool. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. We've had other uh, guests on the radio show that talked about that one medication doesn't work the same for every person mm-hmm. and that there's a trend towards personalized medicine. So that's when you right. say evidence-based medicine, we had somebody here talk about the genomics or uh, one person's side effect is another person's cure. Sure. Um, so how do you, how does that play into the evidence-based medicine, the person, the individual person? So in the next five years, it's fascinating to me. I was just walking down uh, the aisle at Best Buy and I've never seen this before. Um, recently, there's an aisle called wearables now. <laughs> that was never the case before, right? We could go down Best Buy, we could see all the tried and true things like TVs, radios, but we've never seen wearables before. Uh, wearables are taking over. I think this is one of the most fascinating areas of, of technology and medicine where now these little devices are becoming part of ourselves, not just with the phone, but with watches, with glasses, with hearing aids, with many different things. 
And it's really exciting for, for the patient first and foremost, because the patient has all of this data that they can use to actually change behavior. I'll, I'll give you a quick story before mm-hmm. I, I get back to your question. Um, my dad has been a heart patient for 20 years, and, and he's always recognized the value of walking. Uh, but we, he hasn't really done a great job of it. Uh, we got him a Fitbit over the holidays for Christmas. And, and since he's gotten that Fitbit, he recognizes, uh, you've got one yourself, Jay. Uh, so you probably, you probably see the same thing is, is it buzzes when it hits 10,000 steps, mm-hmm. right? So it goes just, green just, on the app. just the yeah. idea of, Hey, I need to hit this 10,000 steps. Just having that data in front of you, it changes your behavior, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't get that 10,000, 10,000 steps, you're going to take a few extra laps around the office or when you get home after dinner, you might take a few extra laps around the subdivision. And it's exactly what my dad does as well and right. millions of patients throughout the United States. Just having this data is now changing their behaviors, mm-hmm. right? And Oh, go ahead. No, no. The gamification, it's behavior modification. This is not accurate. We had a guest on the show say if you had a Fitbit on your waist and one on your wrist, they'd get two different readings. Ah. But it just, it changes your behavior and you set goals and you, it's about behavior modification. That's, That's right. what Fitbit's about. That's right. And it, this is just one example. So the Fitbit is just one example, but there are plenty of other ways that we're going to have so much data on patients. So we'll be able to, right now as a practitioner, you can have a patient that comes into your office and you can ask that patient, you know, How, how's everything been for the last month? And that patient just generally tells you, I've been eating well, I've been walking okay. But now in the next few years, we as practitioners are going to get these virtual patients that greet us way before the actual patient does. We're we'll have access to genomic data. We'll have access to how the, the number of steps they've been walking the previous month. We'll have access to even things like how stressed they've been in the last month. You can tell stress by, uh, they, they say, how often you're posting to social media. They have those <laughs> kinds of things. And so we'll have all of this data that actually greets us. It's a virtual patient that's actually going to greet us before the actual patient even walks through the door. And so this this question that you asked, Jay, is an important mm. one, but it's, it's important in the context of, of of general data that we'll have that we never had access to before. And we can treat the patient in so many other ways that we've never been able to treat them in before. Clinical Associate Professor at the Mercer University College of Pharmacy, Dr. Ashish Advani with us. And we're learning about how the school is incorporating evidence and data into helping with providers make the decisions around the treatments they're recommending uh, based heavily on a, a, a pool of data that they put together into uh, a web-based drug inter- information center. Talk about what Informed is trying to do. Describe the platform first. What, what are we talking about? So, yeah, so it is a platform. That's a great way to describe it. And really what we want to do is provide uh, practitioners like yourself with with uh, evidence to make better decisions. And, and actually, there's already a solution in place. The Drug Information Center, most people don't know, but there's hundred, uh, at least 100 of them throughout the United States. And uh, they're always associated with these uh, colleges of pharmacy. And they've been providing a really valuable service. They actually give uh, practitioners a customized literature search. Most of the time, providers, like I said, they want that data, but they just don't have the time to find it or the resources to find all of those studies that exist behind their decision. And so these uh, drug information centers leverage their time and their resources to offer a customized literature search per the, the user's question. And, and they've been doing this for 50 years. This has been a really valuable service for 50 years. 
but they've been doing it almost walking away from technology. It's like if technology is on one side, they've been doing it on the other side. And, and they've been providing this really valuable service, but really without much technology. And when I first started at Mercer, I noticed um, very similar to the taxi industry, you would have to find the phone number of a drug information center before you could actually call it. Then you'd actually call one and you'd go through a list of questions. Who are you? Where are you calling from? What's your phone number? What's your email address? Spell your email address. Very similar to how you'd order a taxi before. Uber, right? And and you know, busy practitioners don't really have that time. I'd actually measured it. It's three to five minutes every single time once they found the phone number to actually spit out their question. And so <laughs> the idea was here, why not have an app that you could literally just log right in and you just put in your question? Similar to how Uber has changed the taxi industry, that's how we really wanted to change this, this service. And so what we'd love to be able to do is connect all of these 100 plus drug information centers that exist as sort of your Uber drivers in that sense uh, with these uh, practitioners that really need this service, your Uber passengers in that sense. And so we're, we're literally a platform in between this really valuable concept called a drug information center and these users, these practitioners that really could, could lean on this data, uh, again, to make better decisions. So she's what you're saying then is, at least what I heard you saying, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're stitching together the hundred or so pharma information centers through this platform. It's not just the information center available at Mercer University's College of Pharmacy. No, that's right. So Mercer's College of Pharmacy is is the backbone right now, and and they're the the first. But um, but for this to work, it's going to be a, a stitch together of all 100. That's, Cloud-based that's, type. That, data. That's our, That's right. It, it Everything goes through the app. And so when the provider puts in their question, it could go to Mercer's Drug Information Center. It could go to Campbell's Drug Information Center. It could go to Creighton's Drug Information Center. So where does their data live today? Is it sitting in hard drives or are they are, they, are those schools now moving that information into a cloud-based environment. Yeah, more more and more they are looking to uh, to the future. I, I think I mentioned that for 50 years they've run away, far away from technology, mm-hmm. but now I think everybody realizes that that's the future. Our value to those those institutions is, hey, rather than making your own app or website, join the, our back end and, and really Informed is now uh, represented by not just Mercer, but other colleges of pharmacy as well, joining pretty quickly into our back end. Now, are there similar platforms being created out there that are, are, are already out in the market or, or are you one of the f- innovators in this regard? There's nothing else like this in the market. The, the only existing solutions that uh, occur, I, I call them static databases. And we're all familiar with the references that we go to and love now. And, and those are great for um, really easy, common questions. Uh, I myself love Hippocrates for those kinds of things. I go to the Hippocrates for uh, basic uh, dosing questions or side effect questions or uh, drug interaction questions. But those existing databases can only offer you X amount of information because they have X amount of credible authors that can proactively put that information forward. Uh, There's nothing else out there like this that can literally answer any question, that can give you a customized response for that question that you have. Um, You're getting a, a literature search done for you and for that particular question every single time you put one in. And there's nothing else like that that's out there. And it sounds like you're also streamlining the front end because you can authenticate the user as you go right to the query. Is there a a form where people can respond? So I'm a user of this and I search the information. Can I also post, put information back into the 
informed platform? Yeah, so th- that's the future of informed right there is, is um, we've heard this from a n- number of our users is, is, hey, I love the idea that I get a customized literature search for my question, but now I'd love the ability to see what other people are asking and be able to comment on those questions as well. And so this turns into more of a social concept the, mm-hmm. the longer it goes is, is being able to put out there what other people are asking and then give users the ability to say, hey, I had a patient one time that was like this and, mm-hmm. and I, I had a patient one time that was like that. And, and underneath the evidence, you actually see really valuable clinical insight from when we've tested it. And, and ideally, that's, that's the perfect combination. It's not just evidence, but it's clinical insights. And when you get that evidence and clinical insights, that's what makes for the, 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 the perfect decision. And what mm-hmm. sorts of information am I seeing when I query this system? So right now, there's two different ways you can use Informed. You can use Informed, uh, much like I, I mentioned Hippocrates. If you have a really quick question that just needs a, a, you just need a quick dose, for instance, we have an automated topic search that really just pulls from credible sources that I, as a pharmacist, know around the web, but uh, a lot of folks may not know of. And, and so we pull from things like National Guidelines Clearinghouse or what the FDA might say, and we can spit out an automated response in, an, in a matter of seconds. But if you want to, if you have a more complex question that really requires a customized literature search, you can actually just put that question in. It takes about five to 10 seconds. And uh, in return, you actually get a, a human that's going to uh, uh, put together all of the studies for you uh, that exist. Usually it's between five to seven studies that you're getting summarized in your response back. And then you can interact with that information. Like I, I, I just Where's this human? Uh, these humans are in those drug information centers. And so the, the drug information centers are staffed with those folks. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of a wiki model, if I could describe it that way, where the first time that that question comes in, there is a human that works up that whole entire response with maybe like, let's just say five to seven studies. The next time that, stu- that question comes in, they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can just leverage the, the database that we've already got. We've gotten you know thousands of studies already in there that have been summarized. And so the next time that question comes in, we're not reinventing the wheel, but we're literally just doing another literature search, making sure that, uh, you know, we found everything and then putting that question out in a matter of just minutes. So what what brought about the genesis of this platform? You know, we, we've, we've always recognized that the Drug Information Center is valuable. Um, the biggest study that's ever been done shows that the Drug Information Center can save a hospital, 5.2, the average hospital, $5.2 million and 45 fewer deaths compared to hospitals that do not have such a service. This is annually. Um, this is annually. And, and this is, this is in over the last 50 years, right? So this is, it's a tried and true concept, this Drug Information Center. But we've never really been able to reach as many people as I believe we could. And I think technology can facilitate us being able to do that. Right now, it's a, a system that if, if right now in a hospital, you have to go through all of those pain points before you can actually access the Drug Information Center. By using technology and, and good design, we can actually give this to anybody to where you're actually rounding and you've got this evidence uh, right there at the at the tip of your fingers, and and that's never been done before. And by giving by increasing access to that, conceivably, we're only saving more money and pr- promoting um, better outcomes as well. Where do you see that savings coming from? Are you is it from going back to your Ford versus Cadillac kind of example that you used, where maybe name some fancy, well known name brand medication that may have either a similar family or another medicine from a different family that attacks the same problem that costs much less. You're saying that based on this data, 
I might be able to choose the forward medication over the Cadillac and get the same or even possibly a better outcome. Oh, by the way, it's a lot less expensive as well. That's right. That's right. So Lyrica and Gabapentin is a great example. Um, Lyrica has, and and I'm just picking one off the top of my head. There's nothing against uh, Lyrica, but Lyrica is is a pretty expensive drug and and it's hundreds of dollars. But providers, they probably see sales reps for Lyrica all the time. And so it's top of mind, right? And it it has this um, brand recognition with these providers of, oh, it's this brand that that just works. And, and they've done a fantastic job of creating that brand in their mind. Um, it's rare that they actually would look at the data. If you actually look at the data, gabapentin works almost just as well. And in, in a lot of case, cases, better than Lyrica, but it's a generic and, and it's it doesn't quite have that brand recognition. In a lot of cases, it, it makes sense to start with gabapentin. If gabapentin works, um, great. And if not, there's not that much cost to the patient by starting with that one first then and then going to Lyrica. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that data at the tip of our fingers, we're just going to make that decision based on habit, gut, ritual, instinct, anecdotal evidence, intuition. And a lot of times that ends with the higher priced option or the lower uh, effectiveness option. And, and that's really what we're trying to, um, to, to, to get away from. And when we're looking at, at, at Infarmed, we're talking, based on what you're saying, mostly study type information coming back to help me decide what I want to do. But will there be a capacity down the road, do you think? Because as we were talking about both before we went on the air and a little bit as we started talking about genomics, for example, and how that is now really in the last year or two, it's really starting to become the next thing. Mm-hmm. And do you see that sort of data when I CW, go get my genomic study done that somehow, some way that information can then flow in and help also be part of that decision tree. Absolutely. And and not just that, but but more and more um, health systems and, and government entities, they're making their real world data public. Uh, New York is a really good example is of of a state that's really ahead of the game in a lot of other than a lot of other states. But uh, with with that, we'll actually be able to not just leverage published data. There's 20 million published studies out there, so we've got plenty of data in and of itself. But in the future, we're going to be able to dwarf that with our real world data that we have uh, through our electronic medical records, for mm-hmm. instance. And when we have all of that data, not only can we look at previous studies that have been done, but we can actually see how patients are being treated today in real time. I, I, I can give you a, an analogy. It's kind of like how we value cars. We valued cars before uh, based on their Kelly Blue Book value. It's, it's, it's based on just previous numbers. But now there are services out there. I think True Car is one where you can actually see what customers are paying today. Right. And, and that data is a little bit different than our historical data. And, and that's really ha- the, what we're trying to do with Infarmed is not just leverage the 20 million studies that have been, that have been done in the past, but connect up to real world data today. And, and that'll be the future of, of, of this platform. It seems to me that the closer that we get to de-identified data that is just health data, I'm, I'm not C.W. Hall. I'm a 48 year old male um, with a history, a family history of major cardiac events, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera where those data points are out there that it also knows that I'm taking a low-dose statin, et cetera, it would seem that as we start to fill up data lakes with that kind of information on top of what you're saying, that that's when decision-making can get very rifle shot and we can really save costs as we were talking about starting out. That's right. The rifle is a perfect example of it. Right now, we're not quite using the rifle, as you know, and, and that's that's our ultimate goal is to be able to do that. Well. Talk about 
how other technologies you know are are coming to play that you're seeing as as it relates to healthcare anything else that you see on the horizon that's kind of either maybe coming down the road that will ultimately be interfacing with an informed platform or or other ways it might be impacting us and how we make decisions well, I, I kind of gave you my five-year outlook, on, and I think wearables is a big part of that. And, and like I said, I think it helps us as a practitioner, as practitioners, to have all of this data before uh, the patient sees us. And, and a lot of that is due to wearables. But if you look, maybe not five years out, but let's just say now twenty-five years out, um, we're going to be impacted by um, Moore's law. Moore's law is actually uh, uh, it started as a theory uh, by Gordon Moore, who's the founder of Intel. And uh, it basically proposes that our computing power can double every two years. Now, what's fascinating about this is this has been historically reliable since 1965. We've been able to double every two years since then. Now, we haven't really necessarily seen this acceleration because when you double, it, it doesn't quite uh, take shape right away. But over time, those doubling, uh, the doubling of these things really starts to grow exponentially, right? So in these next 25 years, we're going to double, then double again, then double again, to where by the year, they say 2045, we're going to have computers that are much smarter than humans. And not even just smarter than humans, but our little human brains can't even comprehend how smart these computers will be. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think what's fascinating about computers and technology is, is the idea that we can eventually make life, uh, an, an end of life, a uh, choice and not a necessity. I think that eventually we'll have these uh, computers that are, are not just, I mentioned right now, we've got Apple Watch and we've got these smartphones, but the, the longer this goes, the more they become part of ourselves and the more that they, they can really impact uh, healthcare in, in ways that we've never even been able to fathom quite yet. And so it's a, it's a really, really exciting time. We're just on the precipice of such change here. So how have you at Mercer University been able to develop informed as a project? How is this coming together? Well, students is a core part of this, and Dean Matthews won't ever let me forget. It's it's the core part of, of <laughs> why we do what we do. The Drug Information Center is largely staffed by students first and foremost. Every Drug Information Center is. So when the question comes in, the student actually gets a wonderful opportunity to learn how to pull studies, how to evaluate these studies, how to put them together and then communicate in, in a way that practitioners can respond to. And so every time a question comes in, a student is learning in that process. Uh, and what we're trying to do is impact the students on a, on a, a scalable, in a scalable way, not just at Mercer, but at other colleges of pharmacy as we grow that back end. Um, but to answer your question of how this has come about, it's, it's really a combination of, of their efforts, really through these drug information centers that have allowed us to grow this way. If you're asking about how the technology is, has really developed, it's, it's a combination of, of really talented developers that are, are making things automated and, and using machine learning on the back end mm -hmm. to really make things optimal uh, for us there. And I could go into detail, but it'll bore a lot of folks. And then we use a leverage a lot of um, really talented PharmD MBA students to help us market it. So they run our social media, they run our blogs, uh, they're doing things that um, folks can only be able to dream about, you know, these opportunities that, that we're able to, to give them. And, and they're, they're doing quite a bit of our uh, marketing is, is uh, done through students. So is the platform able to be commercialized to some extent to provide either some ROI on its development or 
possibly provide What's some measure. Model? Yes, is yeah. there is there a business model to it, or is it more <laughs> altruistic? No, it, most definitely, it's it's um, we want to be able to show that we uh, can save hospitals money and, and promote outcomes. And, and I'm thankful to say we've just finished a pilot at Atlanta Medical Center and Atlanta Medical Center South, and the data looks fantastic. Uh, if if you actually look at our use compared to the other databases that they would pay quite a bit of money for, um, not only are they using this more, but our costs are significantly less. Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge for them. Being able to show that on paper is, is, hey, you could save a lot of money and you can promote better outcomes by using something like this. Um, it's a really easy, I, I should never say easy, but, but it's, it's not a, 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 a too challenging yeah. of a business case to be Simple, able to make. Yeah. <laughs> Simple, not easy. Um, I'll throw this to both of you. One of the big things that we always ask the the guests of our program is, what do you need as a, a in terms of resources, collaborations, partnerships, whatever the case may be? Clearly, when you look at Informed, the one of the things you need is the other medicine information centers to be collaborating with it, in, interacting with it. That's right. Um, but are you in search of funding? Are you in search of partnerships, collaborations for either? The, the Mercer University Health Sciences Center as a whole uh, that, that Dr. Matthews might tackle, or when you look at Informed, uh, Ashish, would it be any kind of resources or partnerships that you're trying to find that would make it do its thing faster, bigger? Well, if I could just, uh, my ask would be for your audience is to give it a try. I, I, I think right now we've had a lot of early success, but I recognize that we're still at, at the ground floor. We need more people to just try it out and provide feedback. As uh, a user? As a user. So, so it, if I'm a pharmacist or a physician? Hey, give it a try. You can go to infarm.com, I-N-P-H-A-R-M-D.com, and you can sign up for a free three-month trial. And when you do, you'll see a big feedback button on the right-hand side. And uh, I would absolutely love it if you were to provide any feedback, uh, good or bad, big or small, uh, because that's really what will help us to, to create that perfect platform for uh, our users. We're, we're there. We're, or I shouldn't say we're there. We're close to being there. But I think we just need a little bit more feedback. We'd absolutely love a lot more feedback uh, to be able to really make it a, a perfect tool uh, for the practitioner. And Dr. Matthews, anything from the perspective of, as you sit here, Dean and Senior Vice President of the Health Sciences at Mercer, are you Thinking about when you were around the boardroom going, gosh, if we had this kind of collaboration, we had this kind of partnership or this kind of resource, we could really do some things. Are there are there resources that you're seeking today? Yes, I think we have multitude of affiliation agreements, but obviously we would need more of those in order for our students to have places to engage in experiential education, hospital settings, uh, clinics, community centers. Those types of things, not necessarily uh, financial resources, but personnel and and uh, places for our students to practice. How does that come about if I want to be an affiliate? We probably would have to con- oftentimes contact the various hospitals or they can call us uh, at the school. We have individuals, individual faculty members who actually uh, set up those affiliation agreements. And did we cover all the all the important topics that we needed to get out about these innovative projects that you're that you're putting out there at Mercer? I think we did. I think one of the questions you asked was about the uh, ROI, and uh, yes, we would like an ROI return on investment. And uh, but more importantly, as uh, Dr. Avani mentioned, we'd like to see this become a common tool mm-hmm. that's used in the healthcare industry to. Uh, 
move patient care in a different direction. Yeah. And clearly, as Dr. Asbani was, Asbani was saying, that it also helps us tackle the issue of overall cost that we're laying out as well. So Absolutely. that's a good thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, Dr. Matthews, I was wondering, the students that have done the interprofessional education, if they've gone out into the clinics, have, have they have any learning from that? Have they been able to change the mindsets of the people they've been working with? That's a very interesting question. We haven't evaluated that yet because it's relatively new mm-hmm. and we've not had students to go out in all of the professions because some of the programs are relatively new. But obviously that's what we need to do. Right. We, right. we need to send out questionnaires to those students and find out uh, how this IPE has impacted their practice. Well, it seems like the students are so excited about it, they'd be, uh, that would carry over into the practicing. Yes, uh, it should. It should. If you want more information about Mercer in general, mercer.edu, but the pharmacy program is found at pharmacy.mercer.edu. You can get great information about the, the pharmacy program, the innovative things they're doing at Mercer University's College of Pharmacy. And Jay, before we get out of here, um, remind folks about oh, the event, health, when and where. Yeah, it's April 5th in Nashville. Go to healthconnectsouth.com and use the Promo code RADIOX to get a discount on your admission. For uh, Dr. Advani, Dr. Matthews, I want to say thanks very much for taking some time to introduce folks to some of the things that you're doing at Mercer University, clearly innovating how healthcare is being delivered and working to reduce our overall healthcare spend. I applaud you for that, and I'm pleased to be a part of helping share the information. Uh, For the folks who are coming back listening to the podcast, if you haven't done so already and you go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show podcast lives. You can subscribe to us. And that way, each week when the new podcast gets uploaded, it'll be downloaded straight to your device, ready for the drive to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be, getting those 10,000 steps on your, on your Fitbit. We hope you turn around and actually share this information with your social media networks because you never know when you're going to put some information in the hands of somebody that either changes their life uh, or changes their business and you didn't even realize it just because you clicked share. So we want to say thank you very much in advance for that. To Jay Schaefer and Russ LaPerry, Shivani Goswami, all the folks over at Health Connect South, want to say thanks very much for being a partner in this program and making it available. And uh, Ashish, Dr. Matthews, thanks so much for, for coming out, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, CW. Everybody out there, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 